Hello. Welcome to Grass in the Sky, which it, it doesn't really tell you a lot about what, what it's about, does it? Well, it's in homage to my dear dad, Brian, whose unstinting hard work, talent, self-belief, courage, positivity and generosity of spirit, I could go on, um, led to the most remarkable achievements, which leads me nicely on to the kinds of voices you'll be hearing on this podcast. It isn't your average podcast. For a start, nobody has anything to plug. Secondly, none of the people are what you might call famous. And thirdly, they have the most remarkable stories to tell. I'll be asking them about books, music, sport, art, films, food, etc. All those wonderful things that inspire us, unite us, move us, and for one reason or another, leave an everlasting mark. So, if you're interested in listening to lovely, genuine folks speak with refreshing honesty about their lives then you'll probably enjoy listening to Grass in the Sky. Hello, for this, the first episode of Grass in the Sky, I am honoured to be speaking to Pete Bell from Step Out, Stay Out, a Nottingham-based project that aims to help children, young people and ex-offenders do just that, step out and stay out of crime. Pete's love of sport, combined with his own experiences within the criminal justice system, ensure that Step Out, Stay Out provides an opportunity for the vulnerable and marginalised to enjoy playing grassroots football in a safe, inclusive and uplifting environment. Step Out, Stay Out is impressive in itself, but Pete's own story is quite something, and I do feel there's more to be heard, so possibly Pete part two in the future, but for now and without further ado, here it is. Pete Bell, welcome. I am very privileged to have you as my first guest on this podcast, Grass in the Sky. Okay, that's that's great, and uh, I want to thank you, and I feel privileged and honoured to be on it. Um, so thank you very much for that, Elizabeth. My pleasure, Pete. Now we're going to talk about your life. As your grandson who's just left the room said, what did he say? That'll be interesting, did he say? Yeah. So well, that's we, that's an understatement. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I've um, sort of uh, gone through quite a lot in my life. I'm 55 years of age now. I'm uh, living on the Clifton Estate in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Um, working class estate, you yep. know, council houses, etc., etc. And uh, I've been there for about 53 years of my life. Have so you? I've. Um, you know, grown up on the estate, I've been to school on the estate, um, yep. I'm known through my sporting endeavours, yep. um, so yeah. When you say sporting endeavours, you actually run uh, an organisation, don't you? Yeah, I do uh, run an organisation called Step Out, Stay Out, um, and that really was born out of my sort of um, time within the criminal justice system in the early 90s. Um, so in the early 90s, um, I was about 26 years of age. I'd had a good upbringing. Yeah. Um, I'd not got in trouble with the police. I'd, I'd played a lot of football and a lot of cricket and, um, you know, didn't do that great at school. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed just doing sport, you mm-hmm. know, and I just wanted to be involved in sport. Some people will say that I was a very good footballer, but mm-hmm. some will say I was even, an even better cricketer. So I just had this vision of playing football or cricket, yeah. you know, and that's what I dedicated my time to. And uh, back then, no computers, so we'd be on the field all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it was fantastic. But 
in the 1990s, I was going through a turbulent time in a relationship and um, I found myself in uh, Nottingham City Centre and I'd been watching England versus the Republic Island in, in the World Cup and um, I'd been drinking quite heavily and I went into the Market Square and I got on a bus, went upstairs and there was this guy who'd been um, sort of bad-mouthing me on the estate mm -hmm. regarding my relationship with with an individual a female and um, I just lost control and yeah. and I hit him because I he was a friend of mine mm -hmm. and I just couldn't get around the fact that he you know um, done me that sort of disservice of, of tittle tattling they hurt your feelings people. yeah my feelings yeah, yeah that that's it so I found myself getting off the bus and before I knew where I was I was being thrown up against a, a glass um, window by a six foot seven police officer right. and uh, he bust my nose I had my England shirt on yeah. so I looked a mess and I probably looked a right hooligan although that wasn't the case you know it's not something I, I got involved in football hooligan no. stuff at, at games you know I loved the game and, and, and all the rest of it so I ended up spending a couple of nights in the cells because this was like a Friday night. Yeah. Couldn't get into court until Monday morning. So when I stood in front of the magistrate, you know, I must have looked a mess, you know, covered in blood and all, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, I got bail. And then that really started the journey of my criminal activities over a three and a half year period. So I was going through, you know, a messy time with my son. Son was born in uh, December of 1990, and there was a, a custody battle, and uh, the lot, there was a lot of fallout, and there was a lot of people getting involved in it. And my answer was to go around getting drunk, trying to fight the system, which mm -hmm. heavily played towards the female back then. It's a little bit different now. And I was getting into scrapes with people, I was hitting people, and I was getting hit as well at times. And uh, we got to 1992, and the judge must have said, look, you know, this guy needs a short, sharp shock. He, mm. He's committed three or four crimes. He's not behaving himself. He's not learning anything. And he sent me to prison. Um, so the, before, was that the first time you'd been to prison? Yeah, that was the first time I'd been to prison. So, and, and how old were you then? I was, what, 1992, 20, 26, right. 27. Yeah. Um, so I went off so, to prison. So what do you think made you behave like that in that couple of years? Do you think it was a, just a, your form of expressing your frustration and anger at your relationship, at your mate letting you down, at the custody system? It was, it was, but, but to be honest, and I, I always say this to people, you sort of take on this sort of Superman image to your peers. Yeah. And you sort of let, get into a situation where you feel obliged to help them out and, and be the guy who sorts things out. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and so that peer pressure comes on. Yeah. And you get to sort of like that sort of, Oh, you know, I'm the man who people look It's a form of respect, it, isn't it? It's a form of respect, and mm -hmm. I can see how people get sucked into that, you know, and, and I'd had a few fights, and, you know, I'd won these fights, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm unstoppable here. I'm untouchable. Yeah. You get that sort of attitude. Not, It's not right, but you do. It yes. just engulfs you. So, you know, I went, I, I went off to jail. I went to Lincoln Prison, which, you know, Lincoln Prison's 100 years old. 
Um, 45,000 people were in the system back then. It's 90,000 now. Is it? Yeah, it, it's, it's incredible how people have gone to prison and, yeah. and the age of people going to prison and that. So while I was in prison, it was unbelievable what happened. I was only there for a short, sharp shock of three, three months. The sentence was six months, but I served half of that. But, you know, I really look back on my time in prison as an education. Because people were saying to me, what are you doing in prison? You're not the type of guy to be in prison. Yeah. I sat on the periphery and I could have come out of prison a bigger criminal than I went in. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really mad. If you engulf in it, you know, you can get sucked into it. But I didn't. I chose to stand back and listen and learn and that. But prison puts you in a strange situation where you fall out over silly things like... You know, you'll say to someone, um, I want to buy that stamp, and they'll say, well, it's going to cost you five biscuits, and you'll go, well, I'll give you four biscuits. Well, that won't happen in the street, but that's no, prison life, yes. you know. So it is a real strange uh, place to be. Now, while I was in prison, I read some books, and I, I'm not a great reader, but I read Muhammad Ali's Life and Times. Did you? Yeah, and he's a massive inspiration role model to me i read roots right yeah, yeah. and i read about uh, mike tyson as well yeah so i read three books in that time and i really enjoyed educating myself uh, uh, around you know roots and, and role model role models at muhammad ali has muhammad ali always been um, a, a sort of a role model for you yeah from a very early age you know that what i like about him is they always if you say to someone who's your role model, you yeah. get a good appreciation of what they're like in life mm -hmm. because of the people they like and mm -hmm. attach themselves to. And he was always somebody who would stand up and, and face adversity and mm -hmm. say, that is not right. And that's me as a character, mm. you know. Um, so did that lead on to the interest to Mike Tyson's book as well? Yeah, the, it, the boxing and the background? Yeah, and... And Mike Tyson's book just happened to be floating around right. in the library. And I thought, you know what, I've, I've read about... Muhammad Ali yeah, and Roots, and, and let's let's have a... And the book was called um, For Whom the Bell Tolls, It Tolls for Thee. What, Mike Tyson? Yeah, and, and I thought, what a great line that is. And it's sometimes I, I use, you know, um, with my surname being Bell and that. Yeah. So that was quite good, but... Uh, so I'm in jail, I'm going through the system, and, and I'm, you know, I'm working in the day, I'm going to the gym, I'm just behaving myself, l listening to people, you know, talk about some of the horrendous stuff that we're doing. And um, my son Jake, who you met earlier, yeah. he was born while I was in prison. Was he? So I missed him being born. Yeah. Although it was only a three-month period, an awful lot of stuff happened. And then... Uh, shortly after that, I got a letter into prison from my granddad, bless him, and he sort of hinted at the fact that my dad had had an heart attack. Yeah. And um, I had to get that confirmed because nobody had told me they kept it from me. So. Did your family visit you when you were in prison? My my mum and dad didn't visit me, but but my Jake's mother visited me and some yeah. friends and that. Yeah. And um, was it too difficult for your mum and dad? Do you know what? I never had that conversation right. of that I can recall where, the, the, you know, I got their feelings about it. But, yeah. but the thing about what I was doing back then is 
everything has effect on other people. Yeah. It's a ripple effect, and it's really embarrassing now when I look back and think, when the police knocked at the door, they got my mum and dad out of bed, the neighbours were alerted to it, and it's that spiral of you affect so many people from your actions, and it's something that, you know, bothers me, and I always am working on atonement, even to this day, to people on the estate who are connected to me at, mm -hmm. at that time who I did wrong to. Mm. And, you know, and I've recently linked up with one of, one of the people, right. and I've linked up with a guy who actually was the reason I went to jail, and we get on fine. But there's always that sort of, you know what, I really hurt you, and it wasn't really me. Because this is the real me, mm. you know, the 26 years since, etc. This is what you see in the real me. And before I went to prison up to the age of 26, that was the real me. Mm. So I met somebody recently from school and they went, you went to prison? Because they know what I do on the estate. You were one of the goody goodies. That's what they said. Yeah. And I went, yeah, I think you're right. I just got my head down and played sport. But I think from what you've said... That that just proves you you've, you were vulnerable and you have a conscience, you yeah, know. You certainly have a conscience. But, you know, men, I don't mean to, you know, generalise in that way, but of some males coming from your background, you know, like you say, it's very good to be respected yeah. and you want to feel a certain way. And yeah. if suddenly you can't control a certain situation and it's not going the way you want, yeah. things happen in life. Yeah. And that's when vulnerability creeps in, isn't it? Yeah. And that's when you tended to just uh, go off a little bit, you yeah. know? But as soon as you saw the repercussions of that in yeah. prison, yeah. you you made choices in your mind, didn't you? And yeah. you knew it wasn't you. Yeah. And your conscience kicked in again. Yeah. And you chose not to get deeper and deeper. Yeah. You chose to do the good that you're doing now. I, I did eventually, but when I came out of prison, I still had all these issues and all this anger around certain things and that, and that was to do with custody of my son. And I got custody of my son. You know, I had 10 court visits, and I'm like a dog with a bone, you know. Once there's something in my psyche around justice or mm -hmm. injustice, I'm a Libran. Mm -hmm. That scales a justice mm -hmm. thing. And... And I want to see things done, and I'm very methodical. And I kept pursuing. And when it wasn't going my way, that's when, and through alcohol, that's when I would get frustrated and go yeah. out and, and, and commit crime. So I came out of jail, not completely learned my lesson, still quite angry. Um, but I always say I was a, a, a principled criminal. It wasn't... It, an out and out, you know, some people are out and out criminals. It's like a way of life. Mm -hmm. I was sort of like, this happened, nobody's really dealt with it, so I'm going to deal with it, which right. is not right, but it was the system was very f frustrating. It still is to this day. There's a lot of injustice in the world mm. through the criminal justice system, and you, you see it all the time on TV. So it's the injustice. It's, it's really the injustice. That of, really, really gets to you. Yeah, yeah. I think it is, if, if I'm honest. It's that... Hang on, this 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 is this is not right. So you know, for example, if 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 I'm with somebody and and say one of my children have done wrong, mm. just because I'm their dad, I won't back them and go, oh, I best back my children. Mm. I'll expose them mm. and say, you're not right. It don't matter what relation you are to me, you're not right. There's only so much I can I can do for you, mm. but you have to take responsibility for your consequences. Mm -hmm. 
Some people aren't like that. No, They'll back the kids to the hill, and mm. that causes a lot of problems in, in the world. So <clears throat> I found myself in front of a judge called Judge John Hopkin, and Judge John Hopkin is in my top five of people in my life, and I'll tell you why. He, um, I stood in front of Judge John Hopkin. I was tanked up from the, the day before, and I expected, because my barrister had said, you're going to get five years in jail. So I was just sort of dead to the world. And Is this after the initial three months you'd spent? Yeah, this, yeah. This, this was in November 93, and that right. was the last time I stepped forth as a criminal in a, in a, a court. Right. And I stood in front of John Ock and had a great um, probation officer, Brian Rowlands. Okay. And he'd been working with me in jail. And Brian was brilliant because I'd say, I want you to do this. And he'd go, no, this is how it's done. <laughs> so he put me in my place and reined me in on a few occasions. And, and it was great. We mm. had a lovely relationship, me and Brian. And um, the barrister said, you're going to get five years. And I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. But sadly, what had happened five weeks prior, a day before my birthday, my son had died. And he was two years of age. So he spent about ten... So this wasn't the boy that you were going to court about? Yeah, this was Josh. Ah. Um, so Josh was born 1st of December 1990. He your um, oldest boy? Yeah, he was my firstborn, Josh. So he, he died the day before my birthday on the 19th of October, 93. And... Um, you know, as you can imagine. And I say to people, don't think about it for more than a nanosecond because losing your child is just massive. Mm. And um, we had that massive bond because of the court cases and he'd come to live with me for about 10, 10 months. And he was developing into a nice little kid and all the rest of it. And he just took ill on a Sunday and uh, he died on a Tuesday at one o'clock. And... Um, broke my heart yeah. it destroys me to yeah. this day you know and, and people say well you know it's all them years. I don't care it's like yesterday to me and it always will be yes um, so that then you know obviously I was I say to people I was lower than that floor mm. you know I was I was scrambling around in treacle for a good while yeah I was still going out drinking and um, I was a mess my Jake and his mum had left me. Um, I was living on my own, um, but I've always maintained strong ties with Jake, and you know we, we love each other to bits, and we've always been in each other's lives and that. How old's Jake now? Jake's twenty nine. Yeah. And what's nice about Jake is he's worked in the criminal justice system. Right. So he's spent four years working in the Crown Court. Yeah. So. Around our table, there's a lot of talk about football, a lot of talk about criminal justice system. Um, How old would Josh have been? Josh would would have been 31 this year. Right, OK. Um, yeah, so he would have been 31 this year, 1st of December, just gone. So October and December every year is always difficult yeah. for me. You yeah. know, I tend to go off and, and, and keep myself to myself mm -hmm. and that. So... Um, so I was going through this process of, you know, um, drinking, still committing a bit of crime, going out fighting. Um, and then in 1996, I, I just got up one morning uh, and 
I was tied in with a job centre, so I yeah. had a work coach. And I went into the job centre in Nottingham, and she was great. She was another one who put me in my place. You know, I want to do this. Well, you can't do that, but you can do this. And I'm yeah. like, why? You know, so there was, there was that. She was great, uh, Karen, Karen Richardson. And I seen her about 10 years ago. Did and you? It, and it was nice, yeah. I said, remember, yeah, look what I'm doing now. Yeah, it's brilliant, you know, oh. and, it, and that's great. And well, I've got you, people like you to thank. So she sent me off. Well, I was in the job centre and I looked on the board because back then it was on the board and there was a card saying Notts County football in the community, yeah. co coaching and that. And I thought, right, I'm going to, uh, this is what I do, you know, yeah. I like football, I like sports. So I went down there, February it was, 96. And um, I started learning how to coach. And I thought, right, okay, so I do that with Notts County, but what do the FA offer? So I started doing parallel courses. Yeah, brilliant. And it got to 31st of January, 97, I stopped drinking. Right. I haven't drank since. And I'm really proud of that. And I tell the kids that because I think it's really important as a role model. It's to... extremely important. Yeah. What, what, why did you do that? Because I didn't feel it was right to go out on a Friday night, get up on a Saturday, stand in front of, of young people and go, this is the way forward and I'm the man to take you. Yeah. You know, I just felt it, it was not right. I see myself as a teacher, an educator, a mentor, yes. and it's just not right. So I stopped drinking and a lot of people around me like sort of giggled because they knew how I'd been. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go from week, week one to week 50. And, and like, it's, not, it's like 9,000 days now, you know, when you add it up on one of them calculator things on, online. Right. And it, it, it makes me really proud because of where I was. And when I see my friends at Christmas a lot, we go in the pub and it's like, they can't believe the change in me because of where I was and yeah. what I was getting up to at that time. So I started learning about the game and I got different roles. I worked at Mansfield Town in, in their centre of excellence, which it was back then. Um, and then I started working for colleges, the FA. Uh, but I've never worked really full time in the game. But I've always been honest from the get-go of my mm. background. Mm -hmm. And I think there's people out there, and I know there is, where the stigma exists for people coming out of jail and being in the system, where they are forever paying the price and forever being bit, hit by a big stick. You mean that you don't feel you've been fully accepted into the world of professional football because of that? Yeah, I, I think people have always been wary of me and they don't like that sort of attitude of what you see is what you get, I'm going to tell you the truth. Oh no, people don't like that, no, Pete, no. no. So they feel a little bit threatened and maybe exposed because you'll expose things around them that they're not comfortable yeah, quite with. possibly, yeah. So I've sort of bit parted in different roles and I've been as good as some of the people who've got full-time roles and probably even better in some cases. Mm. So I've always had to keep banging the drum and I've just ploughed on and ploughed on. And, you know, I've been... I, I went to America on on one occasion. Let me tell you about this, because this is important me. For, for people. So I picture this. So I flew to America in October 98 to have an interview in Florida about a job. I was due to be there for three years, uh, three months, sorry. And I got to Newark Airport in New York, and I declared that I got a criminal conviction, and I wasn't sure about the rules on that. Yeah. And they sent me back on the next flight. Oh, did they? Yeah. So I got turned around, 
got to learn about how it should have been done. And I've been about 15 times since. So by telling the truth, yeah, yeah, and being honest, it was a real psychologically did me head in. What was the job? It was just coaching, like, in the summer. Yeah. Um, but I've been back and coached for two companies in 10-week periods in the summer, mm. in, the, in the 2001. I've done three educational courses, so they're equivalent to the FA. I've done three of their courses in different places. Yeah. I've been on holidays to America. I've been across the Eastern Cape in South Africa, right. and I've met, Steve Biko's wife. Oh, and I had man, a cup of tea with you? her. So with a Muhammad Ali connection, Mandela, and then to meet That's Steve incredible. Biko's wife, yeah. I went in a house, I seen Steve Biko's desk oh, in his office. Mm-hmm. Um, we went across the Eastern Cape for about 19 days, went in the townships, played football with the kids, give them kit, etc., etc. So, so the, your, your aim is to work with kids who have very little really materially yeah and i yeah it is really because what they don't get the chances and the opportunities they don't get the chances and what i'm finding elizabeth is that i'm getting kids nobody else wants yeah because they're deemed overweight or not quick enough or autistic yeah so you'll see tonight some of the kids and they're fantastic but you'll see some of the differences in the kids um there's places for everyone in this world you know and I want all the kids who don't get these opportunities, whose parents can't always afford to send them to places that are really expensive. Um, and what I'm finding is initially I, I sort of set this up um, because I felt I wanted to keep people out of the system, which I will do. But what I'm finding is I'm keeping these kids out of drug dealers' hands. Mm-hmm. They're vulnerable kids, so yeah. they're vulnerable to county lines exploitation etc but let me tell you how this sort of come about so in 2017 i got a message from a friend saying oakwood prison in wolverhampton 1200 men they 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 want a football coach they want someone to go in and do some football that's fantastic i never really thought because i'd been in jail i never thought i could go back i didn't know much about that side of the system so i went through the process and it's a g4s prison so they accepted me in that and I went and did a bespoke course now the reason I did a bespoke course so I talked about my life and then I did some football uh, coach education and I did that because the FA have been really poor in that sector Mm. very hit and miss so I went into Oakwood had a great time feedback was great and then one jail become four jails four jails become eight jails and I've probably been in about 10 jails now. So uh, what, what, that really interests me. You said you'd, you'd never considered going back. You'd never considered going back to a jail. Yeah, I know. Or, you know, using what you'd learned. Yeah, but I never thought... I didn't know the rules and regulations about ex-offenders entering jail. Right, okay. As because I can guarantee the, the offenders, the poor people in there, you know, the, the lads and lasses, Inmates, they would have respected and listened oh, to somebody like you, surely. You, listen, if you if you come into a jail with me and you sat there listening to what I say, you'll see the guys go like this. Sit straight up. Yeah, and, the, and, and they're like... It isn't... Oh, that is a sign of respect, Pete. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the very... I've not met one inmate who's shown me any disrespect. 
So um, they're engaged, completely they're, they're, engaged. They're engaged because they, they, they know that they've got someone in front of them who is giving them hope, yep. inspiration through yep. my story. And he's, more than anything, taking the time to go back and help. Give a help And show that, yeah. show that, look, you know, I can do it, mm-hmm. you can do it. It's difficult, mm-hmm. this stigma... You know, you're going to cross barriers with your convictions. But if you start somewhere, like I did, 26, 27 years later, I can say, well, hold on a minute. Yeah. I'm completely turned around. It's not 17 months, three years. Yeah. It's 27 years. And plus all this experience and everything I've done in between. Um, but the respect, I mean, it, one one situation springs to mind. We was having a meeting with Lillian and Paddy Tipping, the police and crime commissioner, right. and the governor, and we were talking about, you know, what I'd been doing and that. And we walked through the jail, and one of the guys who'd been on my course come straight up to me and give me a big hug in front of everyone Did he? and went, Pete, oh. I miss you. Yeah. And it was like, you couldn't have wrote it. No. It was genuine, it was honest, mm. and everybody got to see, you know, what influence I've had yeah but I'll always go above and beyond you know so during lockdown I took a load of chocolates to the jail for the lads and for the prison officers and you know we've had this relationship where some of the prison staff came to one of the events in the summer yeah and we're building that relationship between HMP Ladd and Grange and the Clifton Estate right brilliant and that's what this is all about bringing things together local school and you're a role model that's what you are Pete you're a role model and it's very you know it's it's quite rare I would have thought to be a role model for people in prison Kids on a on a state, you know, prison officers. Um, I know you do um, stuff with different cultures and different um, religions and people as well. We were talking earlier about your contacts with people at the local mosque. Yeah. Um, you know, you're very very inclusive, Pete, and and you just want to do good yeah. all the time, don't you? It's right, and and I do, and you know, nothing's too much trouble, and and you don't judge people. Do there's you? a passion. Mm. It's that. It's that passion and enthusiasm to... It's good for me, mm. from a selfish point of view. It's good It's good for me because if I'm sat down not doing stuff, not thinking about stuff, you know, that's when, you know, the mental health and I've had issues around mental health. I do you have. You talked about that briefly, actually. I've only met you once before, Pete, and it was a pleasure to meet you and we, we, we arranged to do this. You very kindly agreed to speak to me. And you did touch on mental health issues. Mm. How have they affected you? Did they affect you when you were younger, before No, you know before what the it was? custody issues with your son and before your little one passed away? No, you know what? I think I'm suffering now because of all because the trauma. Because of the past, yeah. And I'll tell you when it kicked off. It kicked off after my dad died. Right. And how uh, long ago was that? My dad died in 2011. Right. And... Um, I become, Ten years ago. Yeah. yeah, I become unwell eight months later. I lost my balance. Right. On a, a, I was camping on a field on a bit of a slope and I turned around sharply and my head became scrambled. I always remember lying in bed for weeks and weeks and weeks and my head felt shredded. And the paramedics come a couple of times and they said, you've got symptoms of a mini stroke. Mm. Um, 
But it kicked off because my dad died, but people were being nasty to me at that time as well. Yeah. Even my own family, you know, and I was trying to sort out my dad's funeral and that and all his affairs. But some people in the football game were nasty. Right. You know, I had to stop working in Nottinghamshire and ended up in Leicestershire, Derbyshire and, and Northamptonshire mm. because people had that power to go, and I still don't know why to this day, oh, we don't want him working in Nottinghamshire. But if you ask me, if you ask people about me and my working, there's, there's never a day when I turn work down. I've, mm. done, I've done 100 FA Level 1 courses mm. educating probably 2,000 people mm. in grassroots football. Mm -hmm. That's just one section of things that I've been, do, been so doing. So the, the, the loss of your dad, which is enough to trigger any anything and anybody's sort of grief or, um, yeah. you know, stresses and strains, but you had a, a past, didn't you? So that's often a time when there's a trigger such as something as traumatic as a passing, losing your dad, yeah. that would sort of bring things to the surface. Yeah. Plus, if you were being hassled by, you know, other people who, I don't know, by the sounds of it, were just feeling a wee bit threatened by you, Pete, but by your work ethic yeah. and your good intentions. I might be wrong there, but... Yeah. Um, so it was the, the passing of your dad, it was, you know, the hassle from the other people. Yeah. And that all just brought things to the surface, did it? I think so, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can only put it down to... It was complete exhaustion, you know. Because the, the symptoms you described, they, they can't, they're symptoms of a very severe panic attack as well, yeah. where you, you, your nervous system shuts down. Yeah. You know, you flight and fight, and they just morph into one, and they don't know what to do. Um, so I'm aware of those symptoms in people very much, yeah, who are under... Great stress, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I can understand you being told it was, yeah. you know, similar to a stroke. Yeah, so I, I stopped working for two years. Did you? Be uh, and, and after in, that time? Yeah, so I didn't work for two years. Right. Um, and in my head, I said to myself, the first time I go out and deliver a coaching session, if I'm as passionate and enthusiastic as normal, mm. I'll continue. And I was. Yeah. You know, I really get involved and yeah. I want to know about people. Because you'll know this, man management is massive and mm -hmm. it's probably 80, 90% of the game. If you can talk to people the right way, they'll run through brick walls for you. Yeah. If you write with them, you respect them and there's that dialogue and I'm very open-minded. You know, I wish this was a round table because that would just... In my mind, what we do, step out, stay out, is a round table. Yeah. You know, and, and I want to hear people's where everybody's views. equal. And I want, I want to arrive at where the majority say, that's where this should be going, this yes. is the answer to this question. So I'm very open like that. And, and that's why at times I get, again, from the justice side, when people are not like that, mm -hmm. and they take, 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 and they want your information, and then... They just drop you, and that's mm. happened quite a lot. And you know, the football world's full of that, and it's a different animal. The football world. It's I absolutely incredible. admire you for not using another word there. Full of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I got back involved in in football, um, and I loved it as much as ever. Yeah. And I just developed this company called Step Out, Stay Out. You did. <laughs> and it. And initially, because I'd gone into the jail, it was about, right, I want to make a difference in jails. 
but it's very quickly tied into the community. Yeah, of course. And it when is. I really analyse it, you know, if we can stop kids going into jail, that that you know, people in jail or in yeah. jail. We can help them yeah. if they meet me halfway. Mm-hmm. And I've got this thing about meet me on the halfway line mm-hmm. and we can work together. But I'm not doing everything for you because not not everything was done for me. I've had to crawl from below that floor like I told you earlier. Yeah. So, you know, my work is very special with the kids on the estate. Well, it's, ta- it's taken you to quite, quite a few places, Pete. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's where we get this, you know prison to parliament from. So I'm now sitting in sort of meetings where I'm listening to um, debates around crime and contributing to debates around crime with what's called the APPG, uh, all-party parliament group um, within, you know, um, Westminster. And you were invited? Yeah, I was invited through... Take part in that. Yeah, through an organisation called the Alliance of Sport, which is run by an ex-prison officer, and he brings things together and groups together, and they've been great exposing what I do and doing articles in in newspapers and and all the the rest of it. So you found yourself in Parliament? Yeah, so anyway, so I was invited by the Forward Trust. The Forward Trust came up with... um, uh, sort of a catch line of more than my past and they invited me to become an um, ambassador right. uh, Tony Adams is an ambassador oh, yeah, for yeah. more than my past and, and quite a few celebrities and, mm-hmm. and everyday people mm-hmm. and so we got chance and this is amazing so we got chance to go to Parliament on March the 16th 2019 I think it was and it was exactly 28 years that I'd entered prison. Was it? That day. That day? That day. It was amazing. So So you literally have gone from prison to prison parliament. Prison to parliament. And that's where this, the, 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 the saying, you know, prison to parliament comes from. Yeah. And I went with uh, Lillian Greenwood, who you'll meet later, the mm-hmm. MP. Mm-hmm. And... You know, she, she's been fantastic. And she actually messaged me a few months ago and said, Pete, I'm proud to be your MP. Oh. You know, which was amazing. I so she is. Yeah, so, so we, went, we went to Parliament and I'm an And ambassador. is that when you called in at the Palace? No, no, no. We, we, no, we, we didn't have time to call into the Palace. And I'm too busy for the Palace, you know. I, I'm, I, I, get it, I get it done. I... It's really difficult for me because I am somebody by nature who sits on the periphery. Mm. But because I'm driving this on my own, Mm. I have to be out there championing on social media. I have to do the photos and and get people engaged in writing articles. But it's not really normally me. Mm. You know, it's something I've had to take on. It's not that I'm uncomfortable with it, but but it but it's just I get on with stuff. People will say it's a lot of responsibility, Pete, isn't it? It it is, and Mm. it's been huge, and uh, it's relentless. And I've had great help, as you know, from the likes of Paul Mm -hmm. um, and other people. I've got some great people who sit around this, who who are very experienced in their own field of work. Mm. And that's what makes us professional, and that's what makes us a serious organisation. And we're going to make a difference and we're going to make change and we're going to knock on doors mm. and go, that's not quite right. And we have the background and the skills to, to help shape that mm. to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and that's the aim for Step Out, Stay Out. For me, it's about my kids, my grandkids, looking at a picture of me in a few years' time and going, he did all right. Mm. He was a bogger, but he did all right. Look where it went to and look what we're enjoying now. We're now part of the business, the project. We're making a difference. We have a reputation for changing people. And uh, I'm sure your that... grandson that we met earlier, who when you told him we'd be talking about your life and he went out, how old is he? Eight. What's his name? Archie. Archie, eight-year-old yeah. Archie, went out the door and said, hmm, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm sure in 20, 30 years he'll be showing his kids yeah. and saying, there's granddad, there's great-granddad, yeah. and yes, he's had an interesting life. Yeah, it's certainly... And it's going on. Yeah, and it's going on. And, and you should be extremely proud of yourself, yeah. Pete. When, when we started this, me and Jay, we, I always remember it, we had a conversation in the bedroom, and uh, I said, I'm thinking of telling everyone about my life because I know I could do some good, and I know it's going to be tough, and there'll be people like, you know, some will go fantastic, and mm -hmm. some will go, oh, yeah, you know, he's always been a wrong one. And we come up with this sort of saying, um, it goes where it goes. Yeah. So what's... What's fantastic about this, in my opinion, is I don't care anymore, yeah. right? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to knock on doors and I'm going to say to people, that's not right. And, um, you know, what, why is it have to be this way? This is not diverse. This is not inclusive. What about these kids who, you know, can't afford this or they're deemed too overweight or whatever? So I have that relaxed sort of thing. I'm going to say what I need to mm -hmm. say in the right way. But, but, but I'm going just to say counteract it. what you just said, it's because you do care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what uh, you yeah. mean, but it's because yeah. you do care. Yeah. That's all you do. Yeah, yeah. So um, it sort of watches this space. Where does it go from here? It's dead exciting because yeah. you don't know what's coming next. And, um, you know, it's a real privilege to have you on board um, well, yes, I must with, say, with actually, this. no, I'm, again, I'm the privileged one because UP asked me to be a trustee of Step Out, Stay Out, and I am extremely honoured. I'm wearing my Step Out, Stay Out T-shirt as we speak, and we are just about to present some youngsters that you've been working with, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, we're um, going to... With get... their prizes who've... Um, yeah, had a good season, yeah. Yeah, we, we we're gonna we're gonna go out. They're gonna have a kick about, and we we've got a check being presented from the co-op. Excellent. We've got some selection boxes and some drinks for the kids, you know. And it, these are the kids that you've been working with off of the estate. Yeah, right? and and yeah. for me, the big thing is that they're off the estate. Yeah. So for for the next two hours, hour and a half, two hours, they're not on the estate, mm -hmm. sitting in front of TVs or or down the local park. Yeah. Being vulnerable, yes, you know, and that's real. Um, They're out there having a kick about yeah. in the fresh air. The football secondary, yeah, you know, that's just the carrot. But behind that is kids socialising, meeting people. They're going to go to school with. They're going to sit on the tram. It's all them things people don't really look at. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. I think you're quite a remarkable person, Pete. I can't put it into words. I don't want to, as we both would not like it to be, I don't want to bullshit. So <laughs> it's an absolute privilege to speak to you and um, it's an honour to work with you and I hope we work a lot in the future together. Thank you very much. You do good, man. You do good. Thank you. And it's not until you have these conversations where you 
look at the nitty gritty and then you take a moment and go, wow, how did I fit all that in? You know, I just get on with it. Mm. And, then, and then you reflect and go, this is pretty special. Yes, it is. You know, mm. um, and long may it continue. Don't, don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. No, I won't. Lovely to speak to you, Pete. Thank, Thank you. you for yours. Well, do you know, I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I really hope you did too. Thank you again to Pete Bell from Step Out to Stay Out. And thank you, Pete, for having the courage to speak um, about sensitive and personal subjects with such honesty and openness. My admiration for that man knows no bounds. And yes, there was loads more I could have asked him, so please look out for Pete Part 2. Um, please listen again next week if you've enjoyed this. I am new to this malarkey, so um, bear with me. Give us a chance and um, things can only get better. I'm not sure, actually, after that. But uh, please listen next week if you enjoyed it, when I'll be speaking to another exceptional person. <laughs>